Simon joins us. It's a short series. It's only four weeks long that we call Taboo as we talk about topics and subjects that, well, they're taboo. We're not supposed to talk about them and uh, they're hard topics. So we're going to talk about them nonetheless. Now, we started out talking about doubt and last week I talked to you about disappointment with God. And I told you during last week, one of the big disappointments with God is death. When somebody that we love dies and it's hard and we don't like it and death has touched all of our lives in some way and if it hasn't yet, spoiler alert, it will, all right? It will, it's coming. And it's really hard. And I told you last week that it's such a biggie, it gets its own sermon and we will be talking this week then about death and grief and mourning. You know, as pastors, we interact with it a fair bit because sometimes we're called on to comfort the grieving. And of course, we do funerals and memorial services. And I actually knew one pastor who said he would rather do funerals than weddings. He's a sick freak. <laughs> like, like he's a sick, I called 911. No, I didn't, but I should have at that moment. Like, I would much, much rather do weddings. Uh, for one thing, there's time to plan. Like, you know, the bride and groom are all excited and we're a year out and all that. Like, funerals, it's this week. And you have very little time to plan that. Now, when you plan a wedding, you can control who the decision makers are. I make sure it's the bride, the groom, and the wedding coordinator. No one else is allowed in the room. It's just messy, right? But when it comes to a funeral, <laughs> you lose all control. And what happens is the family... So Jim Bob, the second cousin once removed, like he's in the room. Like everyone's in the room. And they all get a say, and by the way, they fight. Have you ever experienced this? Have you been in that room? Like sometimes with an extended family, there's battles and wounds that go on decades in the past, and so-and-so is not speaking to so-and-so. Well, now they are, right? And, and fights can happen because emotions are raw. They're grieving, hurting family. Oh, and inheritance questions are on the table. I've been in a funeral planning session where the family screamed at each other for 15 minutes straight. And I'm looking around the room going, whose job is it to get, oh crap, it's my job. <laughs> I, I got to get a hold of that somehow. Oh my goodness, just tough. So this has been cathartic for me to share this with you. So thanks for listening. But, uh, but I'll tell you what, it's also, it's wonderful, wonderful ministry. Because what you have in that moment is a grieving, hurting family. Then they're just wrecked and they're trying to make sense out of it. And so it's, it's a tough time and it's good ministry. But death is a tough topic. i uh, just warn you, it, it's uh, first service. Like, they were so quiet. I was like, man, uh, it's just a tough topic. Listen, next time you're at a party, uh, yeah, just say, hey, you guys want to talk about death? How do you feel about death? Know anyone that died? Like, no, no, like, right? Like, <laughs> don't do that. Like, that's not good. We, we buzz that thing, right? But here's the thing. Jesus engaged the topic. Jesus was not afraid of the topic. And we're going to look at a story uh, from Christ's ministry on earth out of John chapter 11. So here it is. We'll start in verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Okay, think about that for a minute. Doesn't make sense. So what's going on? You've heard of Mary and Martha, these two sisters. They got a brother, Lazarus. Lazarus is ill. Like, they don't send word to Jesus because he has the sniffles, right? Like, no, he's dying, 
Uh, and so they get word to Jesus. And so it's basically like you receive a call, hey, mom's about to die. And your response is, okay, cool. I'm going to wait two more days. That'd be weird, right? That's what Jesus does. He delays two more days, and that'll actually make sense here in a bit as we go throughout this, this story. So let's keep looking at it. Verse 11, we'll pick it up there. He's talking to the 12 disciples, and it says, After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. All right, so the disciples are a little bit thick. All right, like they they don't always get it right away. Like office fans, like explain it to me like I'm an eight-year-old. Okay, explain this to me like I'm a five-year-old, right? Like they think, oh, so he's just asleep. And, and who the heck travels to the next town to wake the guy up? That's a waste, Jesus. We're not doing that. And Jesus is like, no, 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 listen, listen. He's dead. He's dead. And what we see there is Jesus intentionally delayed going, and it says, so that you may believe. I'm glad I wasn't there. I'm glad he passed, so that you may believe. That's, that's what's in the crosshairs for Jesus, our belief in him not a healing. Well, let's continue the story then in John chapter 11, verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. So Martha, Martha's upset. She's frustrated. She said, you done messed up, A.A. Ron. Like, that's, what, that's what she's saying. You, you messed up, Jesus. And what she does is she expresses her dismay to Jesus. Uh-uh. You can't say that to Jesus. And yet, Jesus is actually cool with it. He receives not only her, he receives her frustration and her dismay, and he's okay with that. Now, one other thing you need to understand uh, front, to understand this passage. The four days thing is important. Jewish tradition at the time taught that the spirit hovered over the body for three days after death. So so to allow him to sit in that grave four days, that means he is legit dead, right? Princess Bride fans, mostly dead? No, he's not mostly dead. Like, he's all dead. He is legit dead. And, And by the way, if you don't know the story out of John chapter 11, uh, spoiler alert, Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the grave, okay? He, he's going to raise him from the grave. So the fact that he waits four days until he does it, he makes sure they understand that spirit's gone, which means Jesus is either showing off or he's making a point. And I think he's making a point. In fact, we'll see it as we keep going. So let's go to verse 23. 
Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, duh. Yeah, it's not in there, but, but, but look, she says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. He poses a question, do you believe this? And this is what we believe, people. This is what we believe right here. Part of it is that we believe that everyone will die. It is inevitable. Now we tend, let's be honest, we tend to live in denial of that. In this broken, fallen world, I kind of expect that I'm going to live forever, and it's God's job to help me live forever, help my loved ones live forever, and that somehow I'm going to dodge that. But death is inevitable. Death and taxes, right? 100%. Death bats a 1,000. Nobody escapes it. Death is coming. So our hope then as Christian disciples is not in health and healing in this broken world. Our hope is in the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus that we who believe, now that word belief is not like just mental assent, but it's like faith. I put all my, I push all my chips to the middle of the table on Jesus. And and therefore I'm folded into his resurrection. And Martha got it right, that at the end of time, we will all experience that resurrection. That is eternal life. Sometimes we say afterlife or heaven, really the new earth, it's paradise. And that's our hope. But temporal healing in this broken, fallen world, that's not our hope. Eternal resurrection is. Now the passage is clear. This part's awkward. But not everyone will experience that resurrection, but only those who put their faith, their belief in Jesus. And Jesus says, do you believe this? Martha believed. If you look in the passage, what did she believe? She said, you are the Christ. That means the Messiah. You're the son of God who came into this world. And why did Jesus come? He came in order to save us to die on the cross for our sins so that we could experience that resurrection through eternal life. And that's our hope. That's our belief. That is biblical. And that's what Martha believed. Absolutely. Now that's one of the sisters. Mary is about to come on the scene. Uh, And Mary and Martha have, uh, they're in the scriptures here and there and and people kind of know those two sisters are different. Have you ever noticed like two sisters can be wildly, any of you have a sister and you're like, we's different, really different. Like they, these two are different and, and they'll respond a little differently. So let's pick it up in verse 32. It says, now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, And the Jews who had come with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. 
Yet that Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. Now, Mary is just honest with Jesus about her pain. She's the more emotional of the two sisters. And she puts it on raw display. She's honest, and she's honest with the community that's surrounding her, that's weeping with her. And did you notice Jesus never buzzed her once? Never once. That's permission to grieve, right? And one of the cool things about the passage is that we see that Jesus not only gives them permission to grieve, God grieved. Jesus is God in the flesh. God wept at that funeral. He wept. He felt it. Which is kind of interesting because Jesus knows. Like I gave you the spoiler alert. Nobody gives Jesus a spoiler alert, right? Like he knows he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. So why is he weeping? And scholars debate this. I think there's a couple things going on. One of the issues on the table is that death was never intended by God. Remember, he warned his way. He said, hey, don't eat of that tree. For the day you eat of it, death, you, you will surely die. Death will be injected into God's good creation. So death is a violation of the intended created order. Now that's nice and intellectual and abstract. Until it hits your life, right? And all of a sudden you feel like death is an enemy. Death tears people apart. Death is hard. Death hurts. And it's in this moment that Jesus God in the flesh has a friend die and he feels the the rending, the separation. And he weeps. He weeps. He feels it. God personally felt that grief. Now, we're we're left with some questions sometimes. And we're like, okay, yeah, but, but why then? Why did God let my relative die, but that one got healed? Why? And by the way, that question was not missed. Verse 37. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Uh Uh-uh. Don't say that to Jesus. And you know, I'll tell you what, the, the Bible's entirely too real to buzz that one. There it is. It puts it right on display. Puts it on display. I gotta be honest with you. We don't always know. We don't know why it is that God let this one live and that one died. We don't always know. And yet we know he has purpose and we know he's up to something. And we'll see that a little bit as we look at the rest of the passage here. Continuing in verse 38. It says, Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and the stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, Okay, see, he's praying now, right? Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Notice that's past tense. Jesus has already prayed about this to God, right? Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. 
The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. What I think we see in the passage is Jesus decided to raise Lazarus because he doesn't always do what we want, right? He did in this case for, it seems like, two reasons. Number one, evidently this put God's glory on display in this unique case. And he did it to display his glory. And number two, remember, he always has in mind leading people to belief in Jesus so that they then experience the eternal resurrection, which is our true hope. And so in this case, it seems like that allowed the crowd to see and believe. That's the goal. The goal wasn't actually to give Lazarus a few more years on earth. Like, let me ask you this. Has, have any of you met Lazarus? No, not still walking around, is he? Because even, even healed, even raised at that time, like he didn't escape death. Death and taxes, thousand, bats a thousand, right? I told you. So, so that means Lazarus would still die. So that didn't move the needle much. He had in mind the glory of God and that people would believe. Now, what do we do with some of this? One of the things I want to encourage you this morning as a pastor, I just want to encourage you towards balance. When somebody dies, sometimes we talk in terms of a homegoing celebration. woo And sometimes we have a weeping, painful funeral. Which one's right? Both. And there's got to be balance between them. It's certainly a homegoing celebration. Remember, the goal is not that we live on in this broken, fallen world. The goal is ultimately that we go home to Jesus. We got to find the Savior here so we get out of here and go home to paradise. And we ought to long for it and hope for it. You see that in this passage out of. Come on now. There, oh, no, no. He's up there. All right. Uh, there it is. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 to 5 says this. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent, we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. You see, the goal, it's about resurrection into eternal life. For that, we ought to be hoping. We ought to be longing. Look, we, we shouldn't be causing it. I get that. But at the same time, like, I, there's times where I'm like, God, I'm good to go anytime. I'm looking forward to it. That's biblical. Okay, we should look forward to the afterlife. Now, let me pause on that term for a second. Like, it's not a great term. See, it said that what is mortal, this mortal, frail life now is swallowed up by life. That means life is what's coming, not what's now. Do you see that? We shouldn't refer to heaven as afterlife. We should refer to our experience now as before life. This is just the bumper video before the real thing. Okay? Now, I first encountered that idea in this book by Randy Alcorn called Heaven. 
Uh, I would, I've re- recommended it before. I'd recommend it again. It's a great book that talks about what is coming to us in the eternal state. And I got to be honest with you, most Christians are largely ignorant about it. And go figure, we're not that excited about it. And so we just want to l- keep living here as long as we can. Man, get a wink at that. Get a peek at that. Go for it. And I'll tell you what, there have been people who are grieving the people that they've lost and they've read that book and it has helped so much because they understand what the goal is. I'd, I'd recommend it. So what I'm saying to you is, yes, absolutely, it is a home-going celebration. Woohoo! But you know what else is biblical? Mourning and grief. It's biblical. Look at... 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 26 says, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Death is an enemy, right? It's not a friend. It's not a helper. It's an enemy. It's a violation of God's good creation. He warned us away from it. He understands that it's a a rending. It's a tearing. Like Like Mary and Martha didn't get to hug their brother anymore. You don't get to see him and talk to him. It's a terrible thing. And so the good news is not that we get to be healed, to live on, on this earth, in this broken, fallen state. That's not the good news. The good news is that we will be reunited with loved ones in heaven someday. Absolutely. But here's the awkward part of the sermon. Uh, We won't see everyone we know and love in heaven. That's clear from the passage, um, that it's those who believe. So to think that we see everyone, that's just not biblical. Uh, And you pay me to tell you the truth. And I just have to tell you the truth. Uh, Jesus talked about this. He, He said that there will be people who will come to him and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do this, that, and the other thing in your name? In other words, they were very, very religious and involved. And Jesus said, depart from me, I never knew you. So the mission statement of Redemption Chapel is no, grow, go. That first one is know Jesus Christ personally. That word's really important. Because when we say, hey, do you know someone? Do you know Joe Biden? Well, you go, yeah, he's our president. I, I know, uh, but no, you know about him. You don't know him, right? Not like I know my wife. And we get that there's two different things when we say we know someone. We know about or we know personally. And Jesus is saying, depart from me, I never knew you. It's like Jesus didn't know they existed. No, he knows about them. There was no personal connection. No faith like Martha had. And so he says, depart from me. And I'll tell you what, that's really hard. It's a hard pill to swallow when we're talking about our departed loved ones. And I feel that pain. I'll tell you about my grandfather. This is my mom's dad. Um, so he was born in Scotland. A lot of, I'm the second generation born in the States. Uh, his father passed away. They were dirt poor. Like they'd get a potato in the morning. He'd warm his hands on it on the way to school. He'd eat it for lunch. Dirt poor. Mom died. He had no choice. He was sent to live with relatives in the States. So he went through Ellis Island and was held there until relatives came, got him. Landed in Toledo, Ohio. A lot of Scots landed in Toledo. He worked in the steel mills there, uh, put him through, himself through night school, uh, got into electroplating, got into sales, did fairly well, eventually started his own company, and he's one of those quintessential American rags-to-riches stories, this poor immigrant that made it. Very generous, though. 
generous to a fault. Like, like when TVs started coming out, he bought a TV for each of the homes in his extended family before they got one. He put through other family members through college. He's very generous. He had two grandchildren, my brother and myself. Uh, his name is Bill. Um, his, my grandfather's boat was named the Bill Rick. <laughs> he loved his grandsons, and he had this great, great sense of humor. Oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> and and I, I don't think I'm that funny, but any humor I get, I got from him. He always would uh, refer to himself as a uh, short, fat, bald, crippled man. That's how he referred to all of it was true. <laughs> uh, and that's, he just had this great sense of humor, loved him. One of the great sadnesses of my life is that he died one year before I met Shannon. Oh, I wish Shannon could meet him. Here's the thing. Um, I wouldn't bet my salvation on his. Uh, I, I, there was no faith, not even religion, uh, that I knew of. Now, I can't judge his heart. I don't know. Only God knows. But I wouldn't bet my salvation on his, and that's really hard. But here's the thing. While I don't know where he is, I trust the character of God. I trust the character of God. And, and, and so it's not my place to elevate my desires or my expectations to the level of Scripture. No. It's not my place to be naive as if other people's dead relatives might go to hell, but mine never will. Not mine. Uh-uh. That's naive. Right? That's not my place. It's not my place to dictate to God. It's not my place to judge God. It is my place to trust God's character and leave it in his hands. Well, that was fun to talk about, so let's move on. So uh, the good news is that we will be reunited with Christians uh, who, who, have, who have died and gone before us. The Bible is really clear about that. Now, to be honest, the real treasure of heaven is that we get to see Jesus face to face. Like when we run into heaven, we're not running to relatives, we're running to Jesus. But the Bible is also clear that we are caught up together with them and there will be a reunion and it will be a blast and that will be great. It's going to be awesome. So no big deal that they died, right? Wrong. Wrong. <laughs> Death is an enemy. It is a rending. It is a separation. And it hurts and it stinks. And the pain of mourning is the price we pay for love. This is something I usually say at funerals. Pain is the price we pay for love. You saw it in the passage that Jesus is weeping and they said, see how he loved him? Pain is the price we pay for love. And I'll tell a funeral uh, congregation gathered there, let's say John Doe died. And I'll say, listen, I have a magic way that I can make all the pain you're feeling right now go away. All you have to do is to have never known John. Just give up all the relationships, all the memories, all the experiences, and you wouldn't be painful right now. Right? And none of us would do that, right? That's the thing. We'd say it's worth it. It's worth it. I would never give up John. But pain is the price we pay for that love. And it does hurt. And we don't have to buzz someone because they're feeling that pain. That's, that's okay. And Jesus himself not only allowed it, but he leaned into it and he felt the pain too. So what's going on is there's balance there. So it's not just a homegoing celebration and it's not just a weeping funeral. There's balance. We don't have to grieve as those who have no hope. That, that comes from this passage in 1 Thessalonians. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. Now, please don't be as thick as the disciples. 
right? They're dead, right? They're dead. But look what it says, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Now that just said two things. One, we don't grieve like them because we have hope. We grieve differently, but notice we grieve. The passage doesn't say, therefore, since you're Christians, don't grieve. Didn't say that. We grieve with hope. And, and to be honest, look, Jesus is not into fake religious masks. And to be honest about our grief and our pain when we're mourning, that is an essential healthy part of the healing process. We need that. So there's balance there. There's balance. Speaking of balance, I, I want to... If you're not grieving already, again, you will be soon. And I want to give you some advice as your pastor. Avoid two very typical but opposite errors. One is when people get stuck in their grief, which means they're like five, ten years into the grieving process and they haven't moved forward at all. So like they haven't unpacked the closets yet or changed any furniture. Or there might be a shrine. They're still talking to their departed loved one as if she or he is still there. And that person's kind of stuck. So, so to avoid that, what we do is we run to the other extreme and avoid the other extreme and says, don't rush it. Don't rush it. It takes time. And grief never goes away. It just changes, okay? It changes. It does change, but it takes time for it to change. Oh, and it's very individual. It's different for each person. So don't require somebody to grieve like you, right? You notice Mary and Martha grieved very differently and they're sisters, Grieving the same person. They grieve differently. And that's okay. That's okay. Now notice I said it's individual, but I didn't say it's private. Because grief is not a private thing. It's a communal thing. Did you see that the whole community was gathered around them, weeping with them? That's important. So don't hide your grief from people. In fact, sometimes you're going to need them to pray for you. Let me be clear what I mean. I don't mean like from a distance pray about you. But I mean, like, you might be at a point where you can't even squeak out a prayer to God. You're so wrecked emotionally. You need somebody to come alongside you and sit down with you, and they're going to be your voice to God because you can't even pray to him right now. Remember when the friends carried the paralytic to Jesus because he couldn't walk there? They carried him to Jesus. You might need somebody to carry you into the throne room of God because you can't get there. Or you might need to be that kind of friend for somebody who, who needs you to be their voice to God because they can't even pray. That's okay. In fact, tell you what, if you're so stuck, you, you might need grief counseling. That's a great thing. It's okay. Take advantage of it. Don't hide your grief. In fact, you know what? Don't hide your grief from God. Mary and Martha didn't. And they, they squeaked out. Did you notice their... Their words to Jesus were few. Like they, they couldn't say much and they were filled with grief and dismay and frustration and they brought it right into his presence. And sometimes when you're grieving, the only thing you can squeak out is, God, this blows and I hate it and it hurts and I don't like it and I'm kind of mad at you right now, but I also kind of know I need you and so would you help me? Sometimes you can't get out that much and it's just, God, please help. Amen. That's okay. That's okay. But know this. God will meet you right there. There's a promise. Look, Psalm 34 verse 18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. 
and saves the crushing spirit. He's right there. You might not see him. You might not feel him. You might be mad at him. But you're brokenhearted, which means God is near to you. He's right there waiting patiently. He's okay with your grief. And he's okay that you're hurting. And he's even okay that you're a little mad at him. And I kind of wonder if he's not crying right alongside you. Because that's what Jesus did. Jesus wept. He's near to the brokenhearted. I want to tell you the story about uh, one guy where God was near to the brokenhearted. Some of you are familiar with the song, It Is Well. Here's some of the lyrics. Smaller font, because I want to get as much as I could just on one shot. But um, This is commonly sung at many funerals. It's kind of a grieving song. The guy that wrote it, his name's Horatio Spafford, and you're like, whatever. Like, sure, Horatio could write that, right? Because whatever happened to him, like his life was easy. <laughs> Not so much. So he lived in the late 1800s, and you know the great fire that went through Chicago? He lived, he was a businessman and did some ministry, and he, his businesses were in Chicago, wiped out by the great fire. Uh, what he did then is he got his wife, because Chicago was no place for a family at that time, so he got his wife and kids, four kids, four daughters, got them on a, an ocean liner, went down the East Coast, put them on a ship to send them ahead to France, so that, and he said, I'll, you know, I'll clean up stuff in Chicago, get affairs in order, I'll join you in Europe as soon as I can. As the ocean liner with his wife and four kids was crossing the Atlantic, uh, it ran into another ship and went down. It's 1800, so there's not a lot of communication. Eventually, he received a telegram from his wife with only two haunting words, saved alone. Saved alone. All four kids. Like we talked about how terrible it is to bury your own kids. Man, four, all four, dead. So he, he rushes to the, back to the East Coast to himself get on a ship to go join his wife so that they can comfort each other and grieve together. As he's crossing the Atlantic, the captain of the ship called him to the bridge and said, Mr. Spafford, I want to let you know that this is the very spot where your daughters were lost. And he goes down to the ship's deck and writes that. This song is not only sung in grief, it was born out of grief. This is somebody that knew that God is close to the brokenhearted. And what you see in it is when sorrows like sea billows roll. Yeah. But that it's all about his hope. We don't grieve as those who have no hope. And I want you to keep that in mind. Whenever in the future you find yourself singing this song, because that might be about 30 seconds from now, right? <laughs> Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, I come to you with these, my people, and I know grief rolls through this congregation. And death is real, and it's an enemy, and it hurts, and it separates, and we hate it. We look to you, and, and yeah, we, we admit, we, we put our hope in this world, and just, Lord, would you heal one more time, please? And we get dismayed when you don't. And Father, yeah, I, I want us to be a people who put our hope in eternity and true resurrection. And yet at the same time, I want you to be near to the brokenhearted.
that we would feel you and sense you and turn to you and love you and let you weep right alongside us during our pain. And I pray for that in Christ's name. Amen.